Good morning, everyone. Happy to be with you. My name is John, and I'm excited and joyful to be sharing God's Word with you today. So join me in prayer, and we'll jump right in. Uh, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your grace on us. We thank you for uh, the ways we are able to serve the community at VBC. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the time that we get to come and worship you, uh, that we can come before your throne of grace. It's not a throne of judgment, but a throne of grace and welcoming. And we can come before you, Lord, who is far above and beyond us. Uh, May you open up our eyes and our ears as we receive and hear your word, Lord. Sanctify us by the truth. Your word is truth. And may you be glorified and honored in our time together, Lord. In Jesus' name we all pray. Amen. Uh, We are continuing our Summer of Love series, and today we have a simple question uh, that's actually extremely difficult to answer if we're actually honest. And the question is, who is my neighbor or who is our neighbor? And so we are going to look at Luke chapter 10, if you want to use your pew Bibles, um, or the words will also be on the screen. But we'll be in Luke chapter 10, we'll be reading the Good Samaritan. And I'm sure if you've been in the church uh, longer than one Sunday, I'm sure you've heard this story, right? It is not only common to the church, but others talk about this. Um, So here we go, Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 37. And this is God's word. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you have made. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. So today we're going to answer, who is my neighbor? The one who has mercy. Now, like we always do, we're going to take this scripture and go verse by verse and see what the Lord has for us. And then at the end of our message, we're going to swing around and hopefully answer or start to answer this question of who is our neighbor. And before we do that, I sort of want to share the purpose with you. The purpose of today's message is not not necessarily to answer how we are good neighbors, but it's more so to answer who is our neighbor. Or maybe better stated, 
who is our neighbor that we know is our neighbor that we don't want to be our neighbor because then that means that we have to love them. Maybe that's the question that maybe we should try to answer today. And it's extremely difficult sometimes and we can all be a little honest with that. And maybe we can also do away with the next 20 minutes and simply answer everyone is our neighbor and then call it a Sunday. Nonetheless, we will look at the scripture verse by verse and see what the Lord has us because that, I think it's good for us to continually, continually think about who is our neighbor and then beyond that, what roadblocks do I put in place um, to prevent me from loving them or treating them or considering them as a neighbor. And so as we start off by verse, just for the sake of transparency, And to level the playing field here, I'm going to ask you to a raise of hands, and I'm going to ask you three questions. So can you raise your hand if you ever found it difficult to love a family member? And not the family member next to you, right? Yeah, today, today, uh, I'm talking about like the second cousin, twice removed. That's the one we're talking about, Not not the people next to us, I'm sure. Have you ever found it difficult to love a coworker or boss or someone you had to work on a project with or an assignment with? Yeah. Uh, have you ever um, had a difficulty loving someone who had a different political or worldview than you? Maybe a different religion, maybe a different culture, yeah? Given the raise of hands, I think that we can all understand we're sort of all in this place that we find it difficult to love people sometimes, and I think that's natural. And so it's our job as Christians to fight that natural instinct to not love and to instead love. And I think after leaving here, we'll have more sympathy actually for the expert of the law who's portrayed as the character who just doesn't understand. And much like him, and maybe too much like him, we know who our neighbor is, and yet we choose or decide to not love them sometimes. And so let's jump uh, verse by verse, and let's see what the Lord has for us. Starting in verse 25, it says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Our character, the expert in law, first thing he does to test Jesus. And this is unlike, or Jesus has faced this before, right? John chapter 3 with Nicodemus, there was a question there and Jesus sort of answered it. But Nicodemus is a curious uh, guy. He wants to know the answer. But here, this expert of the law wants to see what Jesus really knows. He wants to see what is going on here. Jesus, answer this question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's a good question, an easy question, and an extremely complex question. Uh, but nonetheless, Jesus will seek to answer that. Or does he? Let's find out. Verse 26, Jesus then turns around and says, expert of the law, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? The beautiful thing about Christ is he actually points the expert of the law back to the book that he himself wrote. And he pointed him to all the things that we should point to whenever we have questions. Our questions should not, should not simply be, uh, what must we do to inherit eternal life? But what Jesus is saying, our question ought to be, what does the Bible say about what we must do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the scriptures about that? And that's every part of our lives. What do, do the scriptures say about raising kids? What do the scriptures say about how I ought to use my time? What does the scripture say about my money? What does the scripture say about how I should love people? How does the scriptures define love? And so what Jesus is doing is saying, great question, but where do we go for our answer? 
the scriptures. And then the second layer to his two-part question is, what does it mean? Which is the most important thing. And so here is Jesus talking to the expert of the law, pointing back to the scriptures. There's no greater authority on the scriptures than Christ. And yet he's pointing the expert on the law back to the scriptures. And so let me ask you two questions. The first question is this, should we as the body of believers love God? What would you say? Yes, these are not trick questions, I promise. <laughs> Should we, as the body of believers, love our neighbor? Yes. yes. And now, if I were to ask you, what does loving God and loving our neighbor look like? That's where we would all sort of run in different directions, right? One person may say it's calling people out on their sin because we love them. Somebody might say being patient with them until the Holy Spirit reveals truth to them. Or yada, yada. And we have all these things and we run into all these different directions. And so I want to invite you for the next three weeks, we're going to be answering what does love look like? And so as we continue our Summer of Love series, for the next three weeks, we're going to be laying that out. And it's not what does our cultural love look like? What does our worldly love look like? What does the rom-coms that we see on Netflix, what does that look like? How do we do that? It's not Disney love. It's not love is love. It's what is biblical love, and how do we go about doing that? So for the next three weeks, I invite you to hang out with us as we sort of seek to find that answer. And so the man, the expert in the law, to the question, what does it say in the scriptures about eternal life? He answers this in verse 27. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Like a good expert in law, 10 out of 10, he passed it. Not only did he answer correctly, but he quoted from Deuteronomy 5 and Leviticus 19. So this expert in law definitely knew the answer to the question. And so the expert in the law answers a question about eternal life in concrete terms of love and devotion in this life here and now. The things and decisions that we make here will determine where we are for eternity, right? Eternity is long, life is short, and yet what we do here determines the rest of our eternity. So how do you inherit eternal life? Maybe we would say repent and believe. Maybe we'd say by grace through faith. Maybe we'll say by accepting the gift of faith that's only shown by our fruit in loving God and loving others. And all of those are synonymous with love God, love your neighbor. Love God, love your neighbor. And so Jesus' response to this question is simply this. Do it and you will live. So simple. Love God and love your neighbor. Just do it. And we're like, okay, I got that, I got that. But we still don't get it sometimes. And I'm talking about me And yet it's striking because Jesus is about to really ask him this question. Are you really loving God and are you really loving your neighbor? And then beyond that, he's also asking him, um, are you willing to actually love God? And are you willing to actually love your neighbor, even if that means changing everything that you thought was correct to transform your mind and your heart and your thinking towards the scriptures and towards what God has called you to Are you willing to do so? And it's so wonderful in Jesus' interaction with him. He's doing all of these things with just simple, like, questions, simple responses. And yet he's pulling something out of the expert in the law that he's also pulling out of you and me. 
And so it goes on in verse 9 and continues, but the expert in the law wanting to justify himself. So here's the second characteristic. First thing he wanted to test Jesus. Now he wants to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, okay, Jesus, loving my neighbor. Okay, then who is my neighbor? Who is this neighbor? And I think what the expert in the law is doing is he doesn't really want to know who is his neighbor. He wants to know who is not my neighbor. Jesus, can you clearly define lines so I know who to love and who not to love? Because I'm an expert on the law, and Jews are family and community. Those who reject what the world says and follow Jesus, those people, um, I can love them, right? Because aren't you with me? It's easy to love those that you love, right? And it's harder to love those that you don't really love. And so in the same way, that's exactly what the expert on the law is saying. Who is my neighbor or who is not my neighbor? Because there are some people, God, that I don't want to love. So Jesus, answer the way that I want you to answer or that I want it to be answered and not the way that you are going to answer. And so Jesus says this and he starts a parable. And this is his answer. In reply, Jesus says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. And so here we have the victim of this parable, and he's only minimally described because he's not really the main character, and we have two main characters in the story as we read it, and it's good to understand that our first main character is the Samaritan, and the second main character in the story that is not part of the parable but is part of the parable is the expert in the law because this parable is directed towards him, and as a byproduct, as us who read the scriptures, it's directed towards us. So here you have the victim— Lying down, the journey from Jerusalem to Jericho had a reputation for being dangerous. It was about 17 miles from one location to another. It was windy, rocky. There were mountains and caves where uh, bandits could hide and uh, sort of catch people as they were traveling, catch them unexpected. In this, it says he was half dead. Or in other translations, it says he was left for dead. So this character, this victim, he was not in good shape and helpless. Right? He was on his own and he was in need. There was nothing. This character was providing anyone that was walking by that was of any value. Instead, he was somebody who needed to receive, who needed to take. He wasn't in any position to give. He was helpless and in need. And here is our victim laying there. So the question becomes, who will help him? And it continues on in verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the road, down the same road, and when he saw the man who was naked and uh, almost dead, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite came to the place and saw him and passed by where? On the other side. But a Samaritan, which is different than the other characters, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took what on him? pity on him. It's unfortunate that this trouble came to this traveler. And the question is, is help around the corner? And definitely it wasn't until the good Samaritan came along. And a lot of time and energy has been put into why didn't the priest or the Levite stop to help this person in need? Why didn't they? The scriptures don't say clearly why they did or why they didn't. And I think that's intentional because it's leaving us with our own question as we, as we read this text, why don't we stop to love and help our neighbor? And so maybe for the Levite and um, 
the priest, maybe they were headed to Jerusalem, maybe they were headed to a ritual, and if they helped this guy who was laying there and they touched him, they would be considered unclean for seven days, and they didn't want that because they had to get to their church service, right? So he did, they didn't want to do that. Maybe that's an option. Maybe another option is they were worried that something would happen to them. If they stopped, how do we know this guy is actually hurt? Maybe it's just a lie, and maybe they want to capture us. Let's walk on the other side. Let's just play it safe. Or maybe they were late for their job, and if they're late one more time, that's it, right? There are all these reasons that we can understand, and the question for us becomes, why don't we stop and help our neighbor? And so pious Jerusalem, the holy men, the experts, they didn't stop and respond. So the drama remains, who will help this victim? And so here enters the Samaritan, the hero, the least respected of all people, according to the Jews. Eating with the Samaritan was equated with eating pork. They were considered unclean. They were to be avoided. The Samaritan uh, would be the last type of person that the lawyer or the expert of the law would understand as the hero in this, care, in this uh, story. The Samaritan and the Jew, expert in the law, the Levite, the priest, they were sort of enemies in a lot of ways. And they were enemies for a few reasons, and we're not going to get into that yet, and we're going to get into that in a little bit. But culturally, morally, and religiously, they were just different. And so there was animosity, and it wasn't just animosity, it was hatred, and there were barriers, and like, we're not going to love them, we're not going to associate with them. And yet, nonetheless, here comes the Samaritan. In verse 34, it continues on, he went to him, the man who was half dead and naked, although that's just an awkward situation in general, right? What's going on there? Is this person out of his mind, or does he need help, or is he trying to trick me, or does he want something from me? As naturally, all these things are probably popping up in our mind, and maybe it was the same case for the Samaritan. So it says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And here Jesus describes eight concrete, compassionate actions that the Samaritan undertakes for this stranger. The first one is this. The Samaritan goes up to him, unlike the priest or the Levite who walked on the other side, ignored him. Second thing is the Samaritan bandaged his wound. At the risk of facing robbers further down the road, there would be nothing left for him. He poured oil and wine on him to clean his wounds and do whatever he could in that moment. At the risk of having nothing for the rest of his journey. Remember that journey 17 miles. We don't know if it happened at mile marker two or halfway or almost there, but at, at any point, he now is using all the things that he carried because he prepared for this other person in need. The Samaritan takes the man and puts him on his donkey. So I guess now the Samaritan's hoofing it. He's walking it. This is it. And again, we don't know if it was 15 miles, 5 miles, but he walked it. The next thing is he brought him to the inn, which is out of his way. In the story, he brings him to the inn, gives the two denarii, then he leaves, right? So we can understand that he wasn't planning to stop there, and he was going to continue his journey, and now this was inconvenient for him. He lost time, he lost energy, maybe it was out of the way, and he has somewhere else to be. And so he brings him to the end. He takes care of the man and continues to make sure his needs are met. He doesn't just dump him and leave. 
He takes care of the man by giving two denarii, so he puts his money where his mouth is. And the last thing, which is probably the most beautiful thing, is he says, look after him, and when I return. He doesn't say, if I return, or if I'm, if I'm not busy, I'll return, or if I remember. He says, when I return. And it's a full circle of the Samaritan expressing love to a stranger who is in need, who is in want, and was providing nothing of value back to the Samaritan. And so the question then becomes, how do we love our neighbor? And the simple answer is by doing, by looking at this example of the Samaritan. Let's continue on in verse 36. It says, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told them, go and do likewise. It's interesting how the expert of the law answers this question, right? Because he's very intentional about his words. He says, the one who had mercy on him. He couldn't even bring himself to say what? The Samaritan, right? He couldn't even bring himself to say this word because he understood what Jesus was calling him to, right? Love God, love others. And oh, Jesus, you're telling me that the neighbor is the Samaritan, or those that are in need, that's the person that you want me to love. Jesus, I don't know if I can do that. And so this expert in the law, although he understood it intellectually, he didn't understand it practically, and he didn't live it out. Because at the end of the story, the one who showed mercy, and the answer is the Samaritan. That's the one that Jesus is calling us to act and be like. That is the good neighbor, what we all should seek to be, And good neighbors are good neighbors to neighbors, right, to other people. And so then God is calling us as a second layer to then go and identify our neighbors and love those people. So now let's go back to our original question, which is this. Who is our neighbor? Or like we re-ask the question, right? Who is our neighbor that we know is our neighbor, but we don't want them to be our neighbor because then we have to love them like our neighbor? Who is that person? And that's the person that Jesus is calling us to think about and to love. And so the first thing, the first answer, or we understand it to be, our neighbor is who? Everyone, right? Every single person that we interact with, those that we like, those that we don't, those who are our physical neighbors, and those who live far away from us. Every single person is a neighbor. And Jesus is calling the religious leader to love our neighbor, love the people that are different. And what's also interesting about this parable is the man asks Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And then the answer is, from the expert, love God and love your neighbor. And the expert of the law understands that because he answered that. And then Jesus comes back at him with this parable and says, are you really willing to love me and love people? Because the way that we love God, one way, a way, is through loving people as an expression of our love to God. And the same thing is vice versa. When we love people, it's an expression to God. And when we love God, it's expressed by how we love people. And so all of these things are wrapped around in the question. And so same thing with us, right? What must we do to inherit eternal life, to live a life that is transformed in Christ, even if it means we have to lay down things that we want to hold up, right? In order to receive Christ, we need to understand him as Lord and Savior. And a lot of times we like to see Jesus as our Savior, right? Jesus saves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus is for me. Jesus has a purpose and a plan. But then the second part of who Jesus is, which is fully who he is, 
is he's Lord. That means that when he enters our lives, he tells us what we ought to do, and he tells us what we ought not to do. And in this situation with the expert in the law, he's telling him, you ought to love Samaritans. And you ought to not just love them, but you ought to go out of your way to love them. And this expert in the law says, I don't know if I really want to do that. And there are three reasons why the expert of the law didn't really love Samaritans. And that's because they were different culturally, religiously, and morally. And we're going to look at those three ideas and try to identify who are neighbors around us that we sort of put up barriers to not love because it's more convenient that way or easier. And when I say that, I say that to myself. And so here we go. Three reasons why the expert of the law did not love the Samaritan. The first one is... Uh, because he found him to be unclean. So what was a Samaritan? Back in the Old Testament, when uh, Israel was taken out of the promised land and they were enslaved to Assyria, there was this land, Samaria, and those who were part of the church, Israel, left to intermarry with Samaritans. And then they adopted their religion, they adopted their way of life, and so that was sort of just them. So they did away with all the Hebrew ideas, um, the first five books, I'm not going to live like that, I'm going to live my own way. So I'm doing away with this religion, I'm doing away with this culture of being a Jew and a Hebrew, and instead I'm going to embrace the Samaritan idea. So those who we find unclean, So in our culture, if you've been around America for any while, uh, it can get pretty divisive, right? There are things that people are pretty hateful about, pretty mean about. If we just reverse a little few years back in time, uh, back during COVID times, our world was sort of um, big opposites with a lot of heavy issues, right? When it came to the vaccine, when it came to COVID, when it came to um, everything else that was related to that. Should you stay inside? Should you not stay inside? Is this person lying to us? Is that person not lying to us? And there were all these things that meant to divide us. And as the church, it was our job, instead of using those things to divide us, to still cross that bridge and love people who were different than us. Love people who thought things culturally that are different than us. How they raise their kids, how they spend their money, how they spend their time, the things that they dislike, the things that they hate, all these things that are culturally different, right? It's so easy for us to put up these roadblocks as, oh, that is how they are. That is those people. And I'm not going to express love for them because they don't line up with all the things that I understand or seem or think or hope to be true. So I'm going to put up these barriers that that's just how all of them are. So I'm not going to love them. And so when Jesus was interacting with the expert in law, this is what he did. He got right into this uncomfortable space of all these things culturally that he understood a Samaritan to be. And he said, will you still love them? And in the same way for us, it's will you still love them as the body of Christ? And another thing that's pretty divisive, I don't know if you know this, maybe you don't know, but um, politics is divisive. Did you guys know that? I don't know if you knew that or not, but it is. And there are a lot of people that don't line up with what you think politically, right? And we can just be honest with that and open about that. And yet Jesus is saying, love that person. He's not necessarily saying love the person that agrees with you, and he is, but he doesn't need to because you easily love the person that lines up with all of your political views, right? But the people that don't, we have problems extending that grace and compassion. Instead of love first, it's defend first, right? It's rebuke first. It's correct first. 
Instead, Jesus is saying, love your neighbor. Go out of your way. Find a need that they have and fill that need. And so culturally, they were different. And so for me, I also struggle with those things. Since we started Lent, um, I don't know when Lent starts, but 40 days before Easter, whenever that was, one of my things that I gave up was social media. So I uninstalled all my social media. And so I've been social media free since. Uh, But two days ago, I thought it was really wise to reinstall Instagram. And so I did reinstall Instagram, and the first post that I saw was somebody who posted something that was like anti-Jesus and unbiblical and incorrect in my point of view, right? I'm showing you like a glimpse of my mind. Um, And so I was just angry at first, and I was like, I got to say something in the comments because I got to stand up for it. And if I don't say something, then blah, blah, blah. And I I didn't because I always like rationalize myself. I'm going to say something, and then I never do. And then I ended up re-deleting Instagram because it just didn't make sense that I was thinking this way. And instead, I stopped and I prayed for them. And I thought, how can I love this person that I don't agree with? And here's the second thing is, how, who is our neighbor? Those who are in the world are unbelievers. Samaritans saw experts in the law, or experts in the law saw Samaritans as people who rejected the Holy Scriptures. The Samaritans held to the first five books, but they sort of rejected the prophets. They rejected all of these things, and so they sort of went their own way. So for the expert of the law, the Samaritan was the picture of rebellion towards God. So for the expert of the law, his hatred towards the Samaritan was actually righteous hatred and righteous anger because he hated the things that God hated. And so the question becomes, right, and if I am honest, I find it extremely difficult to love people who do evil things. I really find it difficult. I find it extremely hard, and it takes work and effort to love people who do things that are morally against the Scriptures. Right? And yet Jesus is saying, those whom you don't agree with, you ought to still love. And there is a good, holy, and righteous level of hating the things that are evil and loving the things that are good. And yet, in our first, or three weeks ago, when Lois came and she preached about loved people loving people, how can we bridge this gap of those who do evil things against the Scriptures? How can we still love them? And the first step to that is understanding our own rebellion towards God and his great love for us. Man's greatest problem is sin. Not only did we inherit sin, but we have a sinful nature that chooses to sin. And then when given the opportunity to not sin, what do we usually do? Sin and every act of sin is a rebellious act towards a loving, gracious, kind, compassionate, and patient God. And if we act that way towards him, and his expression to us is forgiveness and patience and compassion and love, loved people ought to then express that love to others who do wrong. And the third thing, as we close up our time, is those who wish us harm. And this is morally, right? Samaritan was considered an enemy. Back in the time, they would... uh, hold refugees who murdered people in Israel and they would run to Samaria and Samaria would sort of just keep them safe. And so Samaria was sort of a symbol for war enemies or people who wish them harm. So who is our neighbor? Those co-workers or those who steal from us or those who scheme against us or those who want bad for us, the person who is judging you, the person who is enacting evil against you, that's the person that Jesus is calling us to love. In Matthew chapter 5 verse 43, It says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I will tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And in so doing, loving all these people that are difficult to love, 
we are then honoring God and glorifying him. Because what does John 13 say? A new commandment I have given you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must also love one another. By this love, all men will know that you are my disciples. And it's our love towards people that are different than us, culturally, morally, religiously. It's our extension of love and grace towards them in the hope of sharing the gospel, in the hope of meeting their need, in the hope of reflecting Christ to them, that they will come to a place of One, mutual love towards each other. And if they don't know Christ, a proper love between them and God. And so loving others does not mean, and it's good, worth saying, does not mean agreeing with what everybody says or does. It does not mean that we act in a way to gain their approval. In fact, loving people actually means disagreeing with them and standing your ground when it comes to biblical truth, right? Because if Jesus is the only way, that's pretty offensive to people. And so as Christians, as a body of believers, we're not going to give ground on the things that are biblical and foundational and true, right? There is not three ways to Christ or to heaven. There's one way, a way, the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And yet loving people also means keeping them accountable. Loving people means meeting their needs, like the Good Samaritan going out of his way to love people. We love our neighbors when we, like the Samaritan in Jesus' parable, have compassion for them, extend mercy, show pity, those in need, those that can't return things to us, those that are different than us. It's our job to go and love them. And then introduce them to Christ, who can always their only ultimate source of salvation. And so we bridge these gaps and we do these things and we extend all these things to people who are not like us and are different than us and have different worldviews and and different culturally and religiously and morally. We extend all of those things out because we want them come to know the saving power of Jesus Christ, which at the end of the day is the most important thing that we can do for them. So think about and identify the neighbor that you have not been loving towards and seek to be a biblical neighbor towards them this week. Let's go ahead and pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this time that we get to be together. I thank you for this time, Lord, that we can take this idea of who is our neighbor, Lord. And we all have these preconceived ideas or thoughts or notions. And we just come before you, Lord, in confession that you would receive those, Lord, that we would do away with those and we would understand what does it mean to biblically love and how can we identify those that we find it difficult. And Lord, give us help. Give us energy and strength and compassion uh, to do those things that are difficult and to love like the Good Samaritan. And may you bless this time as we continue to worship you in communion. And we all uh, pray. Amen.